Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. Mark chapter 12. We've been in Mark chapter 12 for about a month now. And uh, most of Mark chapter 12 is uh, the religious leaders questioning Jesus, trying to mess him up so they can have something to kind of hold against him. I ran across this this past week in one of our devotionals. It says this, Upon graduation, many Canadian-trained engineers are presented with an iron ring at a private ceremony called the Ritual of the Calling of an Engineer. There is a story that is often shared about these rings claiming that the initial batch were crafted from the beams of the first Quebec ridge or bridge, which due to faulty planning and design collapsed during its construction, killing 75 workers. While the metal in the rings did not actually come from the bridge, the story continues to serve as a cautionary tale of what can happen when corners are cut in workmanship or materials. The ring worn on the pinky of the dominant hand serves as a continual reminder to the engineer of their obligation to the ethical application of all they have been taught and are to put into practice. Though not tied to a ceremony, there is a simple item, sometimes worn by Christians, that serves the same purpose. Maybe you have worn or wear a WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? Its intent is to remind you to continually ask for any given situation, what would Jesus do? While a bit simplistic, Dallas Willard said something similar. A disciple is someone who lives their lives as Jesus would if he were in their shoes. Let us be wise by listening and following the teachings and example of Jesus and attempting to live as if he were in our shoes. I thought that was kind of interesting. And in light of our message this morning, that is exactly what Jesus would do, and we're going to take a look at that text in a minute. Our passage totally and fully answers the question, what would Jesus do? This verse that we're going to look at is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be a lover of God. And you will notice our uh, sermon title is Wholehearted Love Deserves Wholehearted Love. Wholehearted Love Deserves Wholehearted Love. And on the back of your bulletin, if you'd like to take some notes, you certainly can. This is what is written. The religious leaders wanted and are soon going to see Jesus dead. They wanted Jesus dead, he was stepping on their toes, and he wanted them, they wanted him completely done away with. 
But, and we've been talking about this for the past few weeks, for this to happen, they had to turn the people against him because right now the people love Jesus. He was doing some amazing things. If they could get Jesus to usurp the authority of Moses, now Moses, of course, is their primary character in the Old Testament. If they, if they could get Jesus to, to say something against Moses, with his own words, they could turn him into a heretic and he could be a troublemaker to Rome. So, our text says, they gather together to ask Jesus another question. And really, in the book of Matthew, uh, the, the parallel story there says that the religious leaders, and right now this is the Sanhedrin. It's made up of the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, and the rulers of the law. They make up the Sanhedrin. In the book of Matthew, the parallel story, it says they gather together. They really don't like each other, but for this one purpose, they want to get rid of Jesus. And so they gather together and they devise a question. And that's the question we're going to take a peek at. It's in Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, the question before, and we talked about it last week, the marriage and the resurrection, had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. All right, so we're going to take a look at our notes here. Christ followers love God, and that's what we're going to talk about here in a minute. It's still Wednesday, all right? Everything's been going on here in chapter 12 on Wednesday. And it's Wednesday of the Passion Week. All right, we, we should let you know that. It's Wednesday of the Passion Week. Thursday, Jesus has uh, the Last Supper with his disciples. And then Friday morning, he's arrested and then crucified on Friday. It's Good Friday. And so this is Wednesday of the Passion Week, and Jesus is still in the temple. And again, as I shared, uh, Jesus is being questioned by the religious establishment. And actually what is happening is prophetic. If you want, you can turn back to Psalm 2. And in verse 2, this is what it says. It says, The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So these Sanhedrin that are gathering together are really fulfilling prophecy from Psalm 2, verse 2, that says that they're going to gather together to go against the Lord's anointed, Jesus. So this teacher of the law asked Jesus about the most important commandment. 
And in one of my commentaries this week, I read this. It says, uh, now just a footnote, the rabbis. There's a whole story of the rabbis discussing these kinds of questions. All right, what's the greatest commandment? This stuff is part of the daily fodder of rabbinical dialogue. If you read the Mishnah, the codification of Jewish law, the Talmud, you find all through the writings of Judaism how the rabbis argued about the priorities of certain laws. Now, they had decided that there were 613 laws. 613 laws. Not just biblical laws, but biblical interpretations that became laws and traditions. But they decided 613. That's how many? 613. You say, well, how did they come up with a number like 613? Well, because that's how many letters there are in the Decalogue. The Decalogue is the Ten Commandments. Deca, ten. If you took the Ten Commandments in Hebrew, there's 613 letters. So they said there had to be 613 laws. Pretty silly, but that's some of the rabbinical nonsense. Then they concluded that 248 of them were affirmative. 248 of them were affirmative laws, positive. And 365 were negatives because they needed one for every day. So they concocted this whole scheme, and then they argued about where were the lighter laws in terms of what pleased God, and where were the heavier laws, and how were they to know those and apply them. So the rabbis were intent, you know, that saying how many angels could fit on the tip of a pin, you know, those kinds of things were what were important to them. And Jesus answers this question by quoting from the Pentateuch. Remember, last week we said the Pentateuch, the first five books, Penta 5, first five books of the Old Testament were really important to the Sadducees, if you remember that last week. Jesus quotes from the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 5. If you know anything about this, uh, these verses, they are called the Shema. And Shema is Hebrew for... Here, here, and that's the way Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 5 starts off, and that's how Jesus says the most important one is this, here, Shema, the Hebrew word, this is called the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You don't have a bunch of lords, just one here, and so this one God you are to love with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, my mom, when I'd get in trouble, used to say, if I told you once, I told you a thousand times. All right, how many of your moms said that to you? If I told you once, I told you a thousand times. Well, here you go. If you've heard this passage once, you've heard it a thousand times. I mean, you have heard this passage a thousand times, I'm sure. And so probably you're not going to learn maybe necessarily anything brand new, but it's just a good reminder. It's a good reminder that to be a Christian is to be a lover of God. And so we're going to take a look briefly at these four points. We are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our heart. And when we talk about heart, we talk about our intelligence. 
It always starts with the heart. Everything starts with the heart. The heart symbolizes our identity. The heart is who we are. It's our thoughts, our words, our actions. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, that's important. If, if, it, if it says above all else, you've got to know it's important. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Your heart is who you are. It's the wellspring of life. When I married my wife, Vicki, uh, June 20th will be 40 years for us. When I married my wife, Vicki, I gave her my heart. I gave her my heart exclusively. Humanly speaking, I gave her my heart. When I became a Christian, I gave Jesus my heart. Remember when you were a small child, if you invited Christ into your heart? Remember? I invited Jesus into my heart. You know, as a little kid, I thought, ooh, that's weird. Little Jesus man in my heart. He gets kind of bloody and stuff, doesn't he? But the idea was that my heart is, my, is who I am. It's the wellspring of my life. And when I became a Christian, I gave Jesus my heart exclusively over everything. I love Jesus more than I love my wife, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And she loves Jesus more than she loves me. That's how you make it 40 years. So we are told to love God with all of our heart. Love God with all of our heart, our intelligence. We are told to love God with all of our soul. It's our emotion. The soul stands for emotion. You start with loving God with your heart. And then our soul is what motivates us to act. Our soul is our passions, our desires, our affections, our emotions. Because I'm old, I listen to this radio station that has no words, but it's called the most beautiful music in all the world. Vicki hates the station, so when she gets in my truck, she has to turn it. But I think it's a great station. And the other day... I came home singing this song. Well, not the words, but the tune. See if you know it. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Do, you know that song? Well, maybe it's just the way I'm singing it. Sunrise, sunset. Sunrise, sunset. So I'm humming it, and all of a sudden... Vicky, because she's got a steel mind as a trap, she says this. Is this the little girl I carried? Is this the little boy at play? I don't remember growing older. When did they? I said, stop! Stop! I don't want to hear the words! Those are the saddest words in all of the world. You got my emotion. And then she goes on. When did she get to be a beauty? When did he grow to be so tall? Wasn't it yesterday when they were small? Sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sun. No, stop! I'm getting teary-eyed because it's my emotions. 
My little boy is 34. My 35. My other little boy is 32. My daughter is 28. Swiftly flow the days. Seedlings turn overnight to sunflowers, blossoming even as we gaze. Sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset. Swiftly fly the years. One season following another laden with happiness and tears. That's just, that's just verse 1. All right? She started singing that, and I was in the kitchen. We were preparing dinner. I said, stop, stop. That's the saddest song in all the world. I said, if any of my kids ever have that song at their wedding, I will go absolutely berserk. It's almost as bad as Cats in the Cradle. All right. I can't hear that song. I've got to turn it off. Every time it comes on the radio, turn it off. Cats in the Cradle. Loving Jesus with all of your soul, it's your emotion, it's stirred in me that song of passion and love for my kids and how they got older and I hated that. When we love God with all of our soul, it's finding in Him our essence for living. Loving God with all of our heart, loving God with all of our soul, loving God with all of our mind, it's our, it's our will, it's our will. Our mind is what we use to make decisions. Make decisions. It's, it's purpose. It's priority. It's intention. It's rational. It's obedience. When I say, I've made up my mind, that's it. I've made up my mind. We are saying, it's my final decision. My mind is made up to be a Christ follower. I've looked at all the facts. I've weighed all the other options. And I purpose in my heart and in my soul to give Jesus my mind, to love him with all of my mind. And then lastly, we are to love Jesus. And Mark adds this. It's not in the other ones. It's not in the Shema itself. Mark adds strength. And this is interesting. I went online and looked for probably an hour. Why does Mark add strength? I couldn't find, I couldn't find an answer. So there's a little homework for you if you want to find out why does Mark, the other Gospels don't, but Mark adds strength to the list. A little homework for you. But the idea of strength is it's our physical energy. It's all we've got. I remember when I was a kid, high schooler, uh, we thought it would be fun to take the weights. We were weight training for football. I didn't, I didn't uh, actually play football, but I did some weight training with them. We thought it would be fun to take the weights outside so that when the bell rang for school to be over, all of the girls would see us lifting weights out in the quad area. And I remember I was bench pressing, and I was bench pressing 135 pounds. That is uh, 45 on each side and a 45 bar. That comes out to 135 pounds, I'm pretty sure. I'm bench pressing 135 pounds. And I was probably a sophomore in high school. Uh, yeah, probably a sophomore, maybe a junior. And I remember I took it off the bar and I brought it down and I started to push it up and I couldn't. I couldn't push it up. 
And I think the guys thought, oh, he, this is easy. He should be able to do this. So while the guys that are spotting me are doing this as the girls are passing by and not really noticing that I'm struggling with pushing up this with all the strength i got, I'm trying to push it. And when you struggle like that, if you've got spotters, you say, take it. Take it. I can't do it. Take it. So I'm saying, take it. Take it. I can't do it. Take it. And they didn't. And I remember that bar, I just, it just came down. It hit me right smack dab in the nose. I've still got a little, if you want to look, you don't have to, but if you want to look, right? I, got, I still got a little cut right up there from when that happened. It, I got a bloody nose and everything, but I'm telling you, I was pushing it with all of my strength, everything I had. And that's what it means to love God with all of your strength, everything that is in you, you are loving the Lord that way. I love God with all I've got, all consuming, everything that is in me. It's how I put my love for God into action. And then the last point, according to Jesus and the Shema, and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others. Love others. Treat other people how you would like to be treated. Love other people the way you love yourself. Now, I just want to get this out on the table, and I think you're all familiar with this. I want to just get this out on the table. This is impossible. This is impossible. This is impossible to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. It's impossible. Humanly speaking, this is impossible. <clears throat> I cannot love God this way. And that's exactly right. That's why it was written. It's exactly right to show you and I need a Savior. We need a Savior to help us love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We cannot do it on our own. <clears throat> I read this. Without the cleansing of sin and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, who lives in the heart of the redeemed, loving God to any degree is impossible without the cleansing of sin, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the heart turned over to our loving God. It's impossible. With God's help, we can appropriate that power. With God's help, we can appropriate that power. Now, in Mark's passage, it doesn't say this, but in Matthew's passage, it does. Matthew 22:40 says, all, Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And it's true. If you look at the Decalogue, if you look at the Ten Commandments, Commandment 1, 2, 3, and 4 have to do with loving God. Commandment 1, 2, 3, and 4 have to do with loving God. Commandment 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 have to do with loving others. And you know what is interesting? After this was all said and done, the teacher of the law agreed. He said, yeah, you know what? <laughs> you answered correctly. You answered correctly. And the others say, well, there goes our trap. The guy just tells Jesus that he answered correctly. So, I mean, that messed our trap up. But here's the ending. And Jesus says to him, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to them, you are not too far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask any more questions. 
At the end of your bulletin there, it says this. Remember, not far is good, but not good enough. And we go back to our sermon title, Wholehearted Love Deserves Wholehearted Love. Not a little, not just get there close, but wholehearted love deserves wholehearted love. Jesus gave everything, and he anticipates that we will also give everything. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minatrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minatrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minatristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.